Welcome back, fans, to the home of all things professional wrestling nostalgia. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network, archived 
at snsradionetwork.com and beyondthebell.podbean.com, as well as the official website of Sean Beckerman, your ring announcer, at www.ringannouncing.com. Welcome to the show that's been highly anticipated by you fans of the SNS Radio Network, Heartbreak and Hatred, the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels story. This epic encounter series has been extraordinary up to date and it's been well received by you fans and I appreciate all of your support and feedback. But this one is a very special edition. This is volume 6. Typically we have either two or three rivalries per epic encounter series. But this rivalry fits in a whole show in itself because the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels and Brett Hitman Hart had a rivalry that can triumph all rivalries. You could say it was the rivalry that shaped professional wrestling to its very core. So tonight, we take a look back at the story of Brett the Hitman Hart and the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels. Buckle up, fans. It's going to be a bumpy ride as we look back at one of the most historic feuds in the history of sports entertainment. It's go time. Brett Hitman Hart and the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels are two of professional wrestling's living legends. They dominated the WWE scene throughout the 90s and are considered by many to be the two greatest wrestlers ever to set foot inside the squared circle. On camera, they were bitter rivals competing for the top spot in the WWE, then called called the World Wrestling Federation. Behind the scenes, it was exactly the same thing. Hart and Michaels waged war in and out of the ring, publicly bringing backstage tension into the ring and playing out real-life soap opera, complete with a tragic ending in front of millions of viewers. The Hart-Michaels feud is perhaps the most famously remembered for the events of the Montreal Screwjob. But in fact, the roots of the feud go much deeper into the lives of two of wrestling's most talented stars and the legacy left for those that followed after them. Tonight, we look back at how deep this feud truly went. This will delve into the history of these two men in their words and the words of those close to the situations and show how the rivalry of Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels changed wrestling forever. I've been working on this for a couple months now, putting this together, as all of the editions of Beyond the Bell, from multiple wrestling news sources, and uh, provide different facts and articles, and I combine it and compile it together to one big presentation for you fans, with also my feedback on historic events throughout wrestling. So, once I found out later on that the WWE was working on a DVD uh, entitled you know, Wrestling Rivalries, as they're looking back at this feud as well, I wanted to give my take on it because I've been working on it before I even found out the WWE was making a DVD. Uh, I wanted to have this posted before the DVD was released so we can get my voice out there before WWE posts their DVD, which I, I'm sure is going to be extraordinary because you have Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels sitting there telling the story in their own words about their rival rivalry and their historic feuds. But for this, uh, in this case, for this podcast, it's going to be the objective viewer from the fan from a person that was from the fan perspective back then and who's in the wrestling business now as a ring announcer but I want to give my thoughts of this feud 
from the observer and from a person that was attending these matches and attending these events where all these historic events occurred. And I want to give my take on it, which may vary from the WWE's take, because with the editing stream that you see on their DVDs, uh, much like what we're going to go into in the WCW 101 series, you saw the rise and fall of WCW, but I'm sure some things that I mentioned in my series will differ from what you hear or see in the WWE DVDs. So this, in this case, you may see or hear different facts or different opinions or different stories that may necessarily not be in the DVD, but I'm definitely going to buy that one. I, I will no doubt um, be purchasing that DVD, as this feud is, if not the biggest rivalry in professional wrestling history. So let's start off as we look back at the beginning of the Bret hart Shawn Michaels feud. We look back at the tag team scene. Both wrestlers started out, you could say, in parallel uh, in parallel rights and parallel opportunities. They both started out in the tag team ranks. Let's look back at the Hart Foundation. Bret Hart began his WWE career in 1984 with eight years of pro wrestling experience behind him already. So Bret was already, you could say, more experienced than the average wrestler to date. Hart's father, Stu, was a professional wrestler and the promoter of Stampede Wrestling in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. The Hart family was deeply involved in professional wrestling and still is today, to this very day. All of Brett's six brothers were wrestlers at one point, and all of his sisters were married to wrestlers. His sister, Ellie, is the mother of current WWE diva Natalia, and his sister, Diana, is the mother of David Hart Smith, both of the Hart Dynasty stable that was formed earlier on in the WWE within the past couple of years. Recently, Harry Smith was uh, let go from the WWE, but Tyson Kidd definitely showing that he can have a great match with any star that you put in front of him. The infamous Hart Dungeon in Stu's basement is legendary for being the spot where Stu and his sons trained some of the most prominent names in wrestling history, such as the British Bulldogs, Davey Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid, Chris Benoit, Just, uh, uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Brian Pillman. Bret Hart brought a no-nonsense attitude to his work and was known for his peerless technical wrestling ability, which earned him the nickname The Excellence of Execution by the late great Gorilla Monsoon. Hart became a tag team wrestler with his brother-in-law Jim the Anvil Knight Hart and manager Jimmy Mouth of the South Hart, which Jimmy Hart had no relation, even though the last name was spelled identically. The duo excellently blended Hart's ground-based wrestling skill and cocky attitude with Nightheart's pure, pure brute strength and charismatic wild man personality. They struggled to break through in the tag team ranks, consistently coming in on the losing side against the more popular teams like the Killer Bees and the British Bulldogs. At WrestleMania 2, they took part in the NFL vs. WWF Battle Royal, being the last two men in the ring with Andre the Giant who eliminated both men using a finish that Hart himself suggested. I believe it's when Andre the Giant picked up Bret Hart and threw him on top of the anvil to finish the Battle Royal with Andre winning. In 1987, they, they finally captured the Tag Team Championship from the Bulldogs. Although they were champions and well-known for having good matches with any team, the Hearts still found trouble advancing themselves in the eyes of the company. Get you back up into the ring here in just a moment or two. Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, come on in. <laughs> good Lord. 
I'll tell you, that bullhorn oh. just drives me nuts. I got a headache the way it is. Give me a break, will you, Let Jimmy me tell Hart? you something, baby. I'm so excited that, you know, I promised you several weeks ago that I was going to show the whole world the greatest team in the history of professional wrestling. And I want to do some to you right now. The Hart Foundation, baby. The hitman and the anvil. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I want to I converse, if I may, Jimmy Hart, with these two men of yours. Uh, they are one of the top teams, no doubt about it, the in greatest, tag team action. Top team. Well, wait a minute. You're not the world champions. They happen to we be very winnable. Like... We can't get a match with the world tag team champions. Well, wait a minute. You don't do this overnight, Joe. Gentlemen, you have to meet the likes of, oh, let's say, the Killer Bees or the British Bulldogs. <laughs> the Killer Bees. The British Chihuahuas. I love, I love these names. Yeah, you know, there is a very serious problem, and we, we've got some very good news for everyone out there in the United States about these pestilent problem out in California, the Killer Bees. It's a very, very serious problem. So don't anybody worry about a thing. Because <laughs> we will end that problem, and then there won't be any more problems. Right, Jimmy? Because <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> we do what we want. Right, Hitman. All right, from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, obviously, this team is working out quite well. I think oh, they're going to have to we got, the, we got the greatest manager in professional <laughs> wrestling, for one thing. And then me, for example. Not only am I possibly the greatest looking wrestler, but I'm also the greatest technical wrestler in professional wrestling. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Brett Hart. The greatest technical wrestler. Fred Hart, in all due respect, with that kind of arrogance and, and, and what you're saying, your father would be ashamed if he heard you talking like we that. We don't care, do we? No, no, we don't no, care what no. his father He's thinks. Very, we don't care what very, you very think. very, very proud of the way I'm wrestling. <laughs> don't, don't. Right. And this guy. Look at the power of this guy. Look at the strength. Look at the back. Strongest man in the world. Beautiful. Strength. They are the Hart Foundation. Hart, Hart, and my heart and more like We flipped the coin. The Midnight Rockers. In 1988, Shawn Michaels and his AWA tag team partner, Marty Jannetty, entered the WWF. They had previously worked for the WWF a year earlier, but had been fired due to an altercation at a bar in which they'd be first of many such incidents to mar Michaels' early record. When they re-debuted, they were billed as The Rockers. The Rockers earned their reputation as tag team specialists with innovative high-flying moves and double-team attacks. So unique. Their matches were the first time, or you could say the first of many, in which WWE viewers had seen such use of aerial offense. It was so unique. Michaels relying on his training in Mexico to showcase his abilities. However, the Rockers were considered too small. Most WWF superstars were 250 pounds or more and heavily muscled, while Michaels and Jannetty were, they barely broke 220, the 225 pound mark for a cruiserweight. As a result, they often ended up losing, uh, and they were on the losing side of things, uh, in their matches against such the behemoth teams like the Powers of Pain and Demolition. However, their pretty boy personas won them legions of female fans which would help Michaels throughout his career. You know, we try to make some sense of it all, but we see it makes no sense at all. Whether you like it, love it, hate it, you got to face the fact that the Rockers are the best tag team in the World Wrestling Federation, but they are not the World Federation Tag Team Champions. Why that is, I don't know. We have beat every team that's ever been champions. We just can't seem to beat them while they're champions. But you know, the Rockers live by one law. We don't quit. We keep trying. And we don't fail until we quit trying. And brother, we're going to do it one day. Bad attitude, you say? Who knows? I'll tell you what, you know, people are going around checking their jaw about the Rockers in the World Wrestling Federation. Shut up! We've heard it long enough. Now the Rockers are going to start knocking people out. Woo! Then they both went solo. 
1991, the Hart Foundation went their separate ways. It was decided that Brett would do better as a singles competitor. Plus, Neidhart was experiencing personal issues stemming from a lawsuit against him and the WWE uh, filed by an airline incident. As a singles wrestler, Hart began using a new submission hold, or it was a finisher, entitled The Sharpshooter. He gained a following that really, really enjoyed his serious, hard-working persona and was able to use his ring psychology to put on good matches against lesser-skilled opponents like Dino Bravo and the Barbarian. During this time, Hart claims that Vince McMahon, the owner of the World Wrestling Federation, told him that he received more fan mail than Hulk Hogan, who had been the company's biggest star since 1984. It was decided that Hart would win the Intercontinental Championship in a match with Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning at SummerSlam 91 at Madison Square Garden, which I was a part of. I was there in the audience, and this is from my perspective. You saw, I mean, Kurt Henning I knew was great, but you saw this emerging star in Bret Hart, and after that match, you knew you had something special with the Hitman. Hart would remain prominent and be this huge figure in the IC title picture for the next two years, competing in high-profile matches with Davey Boy Smith, the Nature Boy Ric Flair, and Roddy Roddy Piper, amongst others. We flipped the coin. In, ni- in late 1991, Shawn Michaels began to seek a singles career. He showed excellent prowess in singles matches, including a highly rated match with Nature Boy Ric Flair, in which Michaels is seen shortchanging the veteran, to make himself seem like a far better performer. In early 92, the Rockers violently exploded. A brutal sneak attack by Michaels firmly established him as a hated villain. He took on a cocky and arrogant persona and began calling himself the Heartbreak Kid. His new manager, the Sensational Sherry, cons- uh, consistently and constantly inferred to, interfered in his matches and gave him instant credibility as the type of wrestler who would cheat to win, similar to the Nature Boy. Michaels, his reputation of having a good match with any opponent, began right here, as he began to use his opponent's strengths to make himself the underdog. He did that so well. His first solo event as a heel was the 1992 Royal Rumble, in which he learned to keep the cameras glued to him by dramatically teetering on the ropes. Michaels became a textbook in terms of how he, you could study for how a young, talented wrestler could get himself over. He knew how to have the crowd or the cameras exclusively glued to him. He figured if I fake or tease being eliminated consistently, the cameras will be on me because they show eliminations. Brilliant, huh? At WrestleMania uh, 8, specifically, Bret Hitman Hart defeated, defeated the hot rod Roddy Roddy Piper to regain his Intercontinental Championship, and Michaels pinned veteran Tito Santana, cementing himself as an IC title contender. This is where you saw the new wave around WrestleMania 8 of new superstars making their quote-unquote debuts or in the single seen in the intercontinental title picture and you saw these future main eventers finally gain their chance beating top veterans such as Piper and Santana the first Hart Michaels matches for the intercontinental championship began 
The two had met before in tag team matches, including one in 1990 where the Rockers defeated the Hart Foundation for the tag team titles. But the decision was upheld at the last minute, and the match never aired. Now, that was due to the ropes actually breaking during the match, and because the match just looked sloppy, even though they were able to put on a decent match considering they didn't have any ropes, they just decided not to air the match, and the title reign, quote-unquote, never happened. Now, Michaels and Hart captured the attention of fans all over the WWE with their exciting mix. Michaels' risky offense and cocky attitude against Hart's practical seriousness and extraordinary counter-wrestling. They clashed in the first-ever WWE ladder match, a concept Hart brought with him from Stampede. Hart claims that Michaels swore not to use Hart's ladder match ideas with other opponents, a promise Michaels did not keep, of course. It was Davy Boy Smith who defeated Hart for the Intercontinental title, dropping it to Michaels only weeks later. In Bret Hart's autobiography, he says that this was his idea, giving both Michaels and Smith a push. World Wrestling Federation champion Bret the Hitman Hart nailing that 300-pound-plus Papa Shango. However, as you saw earlier tonight, some interesting developments that definitely will affect you at the Survivor Series. Intercontinental champion now, Shawn Michaels. That means it's going to be champion versus champion when he meets you Thanksgiving Eve. You know, he said... He, Intercontinental hey, champion. this is my intervention. Intercontinental champion. Hey, he's not the man that came out here earlier tonight and made the promise that he would become the Intercontinental Champion. It was Shawn Michaels. He's not the man that came out here tonight and told everybody that at Survivor Series, I'm going to take what you think is rightfully you. Hey, 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 guys, please. Why don't you not talk about it do something about it? I got it. news for you, Jack. I don't know how good your memory is. Do you know who I beat tonight? Do you remember who I beat tonight? Let me remind you a little bit, Hitman. It was the British Bulldog. You remember him, huh? Do you remember him? That's the same guy that humiliated you involved 80,000 people. And I got news for you. That is nothing. Nothing compared to what Shawn Michaels oh my, is going to do to you at Survivor Series. Get ready, because you're not going to have that. Hey, 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 you guys, save it. Come on, pal. I, for one, ladies and gentlemen, will not want to miss that one. Vince, let's get back to you. They were both on top of the world. Bret Hart moved on to bigger and better things. In the midst of a government investigation into charges of steroid distribution, Vince McMahon began a shift in gears in the, in the company's approach. No longer did he want to promote the heavily muscled bodies of steroid users such as Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. Instead, he opted for a more realistic physique of the Macho Man Randy Savage and Nature Boy Ric Flair. He found himself looking for smaller stars on his roster and chose Bret Hart to be the next face of the company. Hart won the World Championship on October 12, 1993 from Ric Flair in front of his Canadian countrymen in Saskatoon. In his post-match interview, Hart referred to himself as the best there is, best there was, and the best there ever will be. Hart was the first man to win the WWF's Triple Crown, having won all three existing championship belts. That was the World Championship, the Intercontinental Championship, and the Tag Team titles. Hart now took a new approach to the WWF Championship, vowing to be the fightingest WWF champion of all time. Unlike Hogan and the Warrior before him, Hart defended the title against mid-card talent such as Virgil and Razor Ramon, as well as main eventers like Flair and Savage. 
a number of champion versus champion matches came out as well, with Hart defending the title against Michaels at the 1993 Survivor Series. The Survivor Series will be known throughout this entire feud. At WrestleMania 9, Hulk Hogan returned to the WWF, and McMahon immediately put him back at the top, with Hart losing the title to sumo-sized newcomer Yokozuna, who immediately lost the belt to Hogan. Hart was bitter and angry about the loss, believing that he had been robbed of his hard-earned spot. Hogan's return was short-lived, and he lost the title to Yokozuna two months later at the King of the Ring. Hart won the King of the Ring tournament that year, that same night, and confronted Hogan backstage, claiming he was never one of the boys. Hart felt he was used as a pawn in the Hogan-McMahon head games. Hart feuded with Jerry the King Lawler for the rest of 94. Lawler was a household name in his mid-80s confrontations with comedian Andy Kaufman, but had since fallen into a cartoonish villain role and commentating. Hart considered the feud a step down. Shawn Michaels, meanwhile, was taking steps up. He had left the company over charges of steroid abuse, which he disputed, but soon returned and feuded with Razor Ramon over the IC title. This culminated in a ladder match at WrestleMania 10. In this match, Hart claims that Michaels stole many of his ideas. But the result was that the match became an instant classic. Setting the bar for ladder matches that followed for, you could say, for the rest of time in the professional wrestling industry. It's mentioned to this very day. The match also featured the pay-per-view debut of Sean's new bodyguard, Kevin, Big Daddy Cool Diesel Nash. Though Michaels lost the match, he clearly established himself as the go-to guy for stealing the show at WrestleMania. It was the debut of Mr. WrestleMania. On that same night, Hart defeated Yokozuna to win back the WWF Championship in the main event. The ring filled with well-wishers such as Savage, Razor, the 1-2-3 Kid, and Vince McMahon himself. Also on that same night, Brett wrestled his first WWF match against his brother Owen Hart kicking off a championship feud between the two brothers, which we talked about in a previous epic encounter. In the following months, Brett feuded with Owen, while Sean and Diesel feuded with Razor. The combination of Sean, Razor, Diesel, and the kid, along with newcomer Paul, Triple H Levesque, became known in backstage areas as the Click. The Click worked very closely together, refusing to put over wrestlers such... Oh, other than each other, that weren't in their quote-unquote clique. They traded the Intercontinental title amongst each other, and eventually Sean and Diesel won the Tag Team Championships. At Survivor Series 1994, there comes the Survivor Series again, the Tag Team combusted and Diesel became a babyface, chasing Sean out of the arena. At the same event, Brett defended his WWF Championship against Bob Backlund in a submission match that could only be lost when the competitor's uh, cornerman threw in the towel. Brett's cornerman, the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, was knocked out in the match by Backlund's cornerman Owen Hart. Owen deceived his mother, Helen, into throwing in the towel and costing Brett the championship. It was such a great angle. Just a few days later... Diesel pinned Backlund at Madison Square Garden to become the WWF champion. I was there, and that was such an extraordinary moment. Probably the biggest moment in Kevin Nash's career. Especially with his re-debuting into the company. 
know, Kevin Nash became a star. I was definitely a big Diesel fan even before then, but it just pushed him over the limit there. And he, it was so loud that night when he, when he pinned Bob Backlund. Nash would hold the title for just under a year. Now a babyface, he feuded with his former friend, Shawn Michaels, and often teamed with Hart against Shawn and Owen Hart. Brett's family feud continued with the return of brothers-in-law Davy Boy Smith and Jim Neidhart, with Neidhart taking Owen's side and Davy Boy taking Brett's. Michaels found a new bodyguard in Psycho Sid, formerly Sid Vicious, a former WCW wrestler who McMahon had big plans for. Hart challenged Big Daddy Cool for the title at the Royal Rumble in 1995, only to have interference from Owen and Michaels and the match in a draw. That night, Michaels became the first man to win the Royal Rumble after drawing number one. It was also the shortest Rumble match ever, with participants entering every 60 seconds instead of the usual two minutes. Nonetheless, Michaels would face Nash at WrestleMania 11 for the championship and would be accompanied to the ring by celebrity guest Pamela Anderson. Hart's WrestleMania 11 match against Bob Backlund was, forget- was a forgettable I Quit match and helped greatly by the charisma of guest referee Roddy Roddy Piper. Hart was annoyed with Michael's performance during the main event, although many consider it to be one of the best Brains versus Bra matches in WrestleMania history. The crowd rallied behind Michael's being an underdog in his performance and even though he lost, Sean came out far more popular than he did before. You saw the makings of a possible babyface turn for HBK. McMahon began, well, basically began Michaels down the road for the WWF Championship at that point. Michaels made a babyface turn. Feuding with Jeff Jarrett to win the Intercontinental title, he defeated Razor in a ladder match in a rematch of that historic WrestleMania 10 match at SummerSlam 95. Michaels was on a roll when he hit an unexpected speed bump. While out partying at a bar with Davy Boy Smith, Scott Hall, and Sean Waltman, the one, two, three kid, Michaels, allegedly under the influence of uh, the, uh, uh, let's say, recreational drugs, we'll go into two details with that, got into a fight with a small group of Marines in Syracuse, New York. Michaels was badly beaten and suffered a severe concussion. At In Your House 4 in October, Sean forfeited his Intercontinental Championship and claimed his injuries would force him to retire from wrestling. Then we saw the video Tell Me a Lie, which was played on WWF TV numerous times. Fortunately for Michaels, he would recover and return in time for Survivor Series 95 the next month. The Survivor Series shows up again in this feud. After WrestleMania 11, Bret Hart was locked in his feud with Jerry Lawler. Lawler would make disparaging comments on air about Hart's family, particularly his, his mother Helen, and would side with Owen numerous times throughout their feud. Brett found Lawler's comments offensive and did not want to didn't, he didn't see humor in them. He was also frustrated with the cartoonish nature of the feud, which saw them involved in matches with Doink the Clown, at that time it was Matt Bond, and Lawler's supposed dentist Isaac Yankum, a young Glenn Jacobs, now known as Kane, we all know. However, by November, Hart was back in the title picture and faced Nash at the Survivor Series in 95. Hart ended Nash's 12-month reign in a no-DQ match that saw first time, well, the first time ever a WWF competitor was put through a table. Hart had seen the move performed 
by Extreme Championship Wrestling performer Sabu and incorporated it into the match. Hart claims that after the match, he was berated by Nash, who said, don't forget who did the, the blank favor for you. Hart counts this as another example of the clique's mentality. You know, anger when forced to lose to someone other than Shawn Michaels. Here is when the tensions start to begin between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. It's now time for our first commercial break of this extraordinary podcast, but when we return, we're starting to see the tension build between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, and it will increase as we now look back at the Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. Stay tuned as we'll return with more Heartbreak and Hatred, the Bret Hart-Shawn Michaels story on Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network. Stay with us. I'm not your boy, toy. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Wrestling is my life. I mean, ever since I was a little teeny holster... My dad used to take me to watch wrestling in Tampa, Florida. I grew up with it. I vicariously lived through it. I wanted to be a wrestler. It's all I ever wanted to be. When I step in that squared circle, I'm in the moment. That's all I care about. That's all I focus on. It's so simple to understand, so simple for people to dive in and just forget all their cares and everything that's going on in the world and live through Impact Wrestling. We bring wrestling back the way it should be. It's the conflict in the world. It's good versus evil. It's all things to all men and women. You get a chance to step out of your normal lives and vicariously live through Impact Wrestling. Wrestling matters here at Impact Wrestling. Hey guys, it's Mr. Money on the Mic, JJ, all caps, sexy of the SNS Radio Network. If you're looking for the latest news in professional wrestling and, of course, some of the best columns on the World Wide Web today, visit headlocks2headlines.com. That's headlocks, the number two, headlines.com. It's the official news site of the SNS Radio Network. You should make it your official news site as well. Once again, triple W dot. Headlocks to headlines.com. No one. No one. No one. No one likes a bully. Whether it's verbal, physical, or cyberbullying. There's no place for bullying. Not in school, in the playground, or on the internet. Join Creative Coalition, the NEA, GLAD, and the WWE as we put an end to bullying. Once and for all, don't be a bully. Be a star. Show tolerance and respect.
welcome back to Heartbreak and Hatred, the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels story on Beyond the Bell via the SNS Radio Network. WrestleMania 12. Bret Hart called this the biggest match of his career. Hart would defend the title against the likes of the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, Owen Hart, and The Undertaker. While Bret criticized Michaels' click, Michaels criticized Hart's constant feuding with family members and bringing family matters into the ring. In early 1996, Sean won the Royal Rumble that year and once again was the top man and the number one contender for the World Championship and was placed in a championship title match with Bret the Hitman Hart. Both babyfaces and both at the top of their game. The two greatest athletes in the history of the World Wrestling Federation going at it at WrestleMania. Now the question is, Shawn Michaels, in your mind, do you believe that the hitman Bret Hart is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be? No way! First of all, I would like to say that there is not a person in this building that has more respect for this man right here than Shawn Michaels. What? I most definitely believe that the hitman is the best there was. And I suppose that only time will tell because I can't foresee the future, but I believe he may possibly be the best that there ever will be. But the one thing I do have to question, and again, with all due respect to you, Brett, I can't believe in my own heart that right now, at this time, in 1996, that you are the best there is, because I believe that that spot is owned by the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Everyone has to have confidence. Here we go. Confidence, unquestionably, a very important part, Bret Hart, of your reign as the WWF champion. And indeed, how do you size up your challenge? Well, with all due respect, Shawn Michaels, I think you're one of the greatest wrestlers I've ever had the privilege of watching. And I know that uh, in the last five months, being the World Wrestling Federation champion, without a doubt, have been the hardest five months of my career. And I've taken a lot of punishment from some big guys. It's awful tough wrestling guys that are 6'9 and 7 feet tall. But no matter what, I really, really look forward to an opportunity to step in the ring and show exactly why it is that I am the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Look at these people! You know, there's a lot of people that misunderstand things. It's not my job to beat you. Being the World Wrestling Federation champion, it's your job 
to beat me. Now, in this match, Shawn Michaels, I just want you to understand one thing, because, uh, like I say, I got nothing but respect for you. I think you're great. But once this bell rings, once, the, once they sound that bell, I'm going to hit you with everything but the kitchen sink, and you're in for the biggest dog fights you've ever seen in your whole life. I think uh, everyone would concur with that, and unquestionably with that in mind, conditioning, both mentally as well as physically, will play a huge part in this match. Well, certainly conditioning will, and I know that he has had nothing but tough opponents one after another. But you know something? I haven't done so bad myself lately. I've been beat up by nine thugs. I've been beat up by seven-foot people. And you know something? I'm still standing here looking as good as I ever have. And Hitman... Once again, I guess you and I could sit here and blow smoke at each other because we do have a lot of respect for each other. But the fact of the matter is, you want to know about conditioning? Well, let me ask you something. Take a look at that. Does it look like I'm in the best condition in my life, or is it just my imagination? There's no question. You're going to have to give it your all, as you have so many, many times before, Bret Hart. What kind of shape are you going to be in? We ever see that little pink rabbit on those Energizer commercials? The Energizer Bunny. I just keep going and going and going. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the World Wrestling Federation. What's he doing here? Ladies and gentlemen, Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. (laughs) Something's fit to happen. Whenever this guy shows up, something happens. And it's not always good either. May I please? Well, have yourself a seat. <laughs> He's got a seat, all right. You know, first of all, I was listening, and my job as the president of the WWF is to represent you people and make sure you get a fair shake on every fight that's coming up in WrestleMania 12 on the 31st in Anaheim. And the first thing that I do not like is when they announce Bret Hart's name, I hear people boo. You don't fool a guy like this. Hang on. I didn't come here to say what's popular. I come here to tell the truth. You don't fool a guy that's been three times world champion. Why, one time I even heard this guy beat Roddy Piper. I don't know. I wasn't there. Oh, right. You don't fool a guy like this. This kid his whole life has been dying to win the World Wrestling Federation title, has done everything in his power, has been on the mat, has grappled ever since he's been this high for this one chance. But I'll tell you something. There's something that everybody's missing because March 31st Anaheim is the night to fight. If I'm the WWF president, there's going to be a winner here. There ain't going to be no kind of tight pulling, no details, nothing like that. You're talking about conditioning. First of all, you don't judge a book by its cover. So yes, you got wonderful abs. That don't mean nothing. (laughs) That's right. 
You, you've been beat up a couple of times. You know, it's time anybody can have a lucky night and catch a fall. So this is the way it's going to be in your match for the WWF title. It's not a one-fall match. It's the man that can get the most falls on the other man will become the WWF champion. Do you have a problem with that? I have a problem with that. Do you have a problem with that? I don't have a problem. How long of a match are we talking about? You hear this, McMahon? Yes, I've just joined you again here on headset and... One hour! Whoa! Oh, my goodness! No timeouts! No nothing! Because i got to tell you something. These two guys right here can perform, and there's somebody that's going to make them. And that's me, March 31st, Anaheim, the one who gets the most ball, wins this belt. Until then, boys... You might as well shake hands now, because you're going to hate each other after that. My goodness, a one-hour match, an Iron Man match, if you would. And whoever wins the most falls in one hour wins the WWF Championship in that. Two great... Co- Fans were excited at the prospect of such a meeting between these two competitors. McMahon asked Hart if he felt comfortable putting Michaels over for the championship. Hart who had been hoping for time off to pursue other projects, agreed. The match was set for WrestleMania 12 and would be the first ever 60-minute Iron Man match. The lead-up to this match was one of the biggest in WrestleMania history. Strangely, Michaels was taken off the road for several months in order to firm up his conditioning for the 60-minute affair, while Brett worked a grueling schedule in matches with heavyweights such as Psycho Sid, Yokozuna, and Vader, and also completed a two-week tour in India. Brett claims this was done to make him look beat up and exhausted by the end of the match. They wanted Sean to be scrapping, or basically scraping, to win and scraping Brett off the mat at the same time. He said in the Calgary Sun co- column that he believed that they wanted, he wanted Brett or himself to look weak and beat up by the end of the, in- the encounter. He also said, I think I was the one scraping him off the mat. He felt the opposite. He feels that the lead-up intended to make Michaels look good and make himself look bad. Michaels was filmed working with his trainer, famous Mexican luchador Jose Lothario, as, as he did several vertical push-ups and rigor, rigorous acrobatic exercises. Brett was filmed jogging tentatively on ice, Hart says, in the cold Calgary weather and then being painfully stretched by his 70-year-old father. The match which went into two minutes of sudden death overtime due to no pinfalls being made in the allotted hour, was both well-executed and sloppy. Within the first ten minutes, Hart and Michaels began hitting each other stiffly. Neither Brett or Sean will admit to ill will being at the center of the rough action between the, the two the stiffing each other with punches and kicks. But many wrestling observers feel both men took the opportunity to vent their aggression out on each other. The match is widely considered to be one of the best in WrestleMania history. After the match ended, Brett left the ring looking angry and refusing to shake hands with the fans. 
This led to speculation that Hart was legitimately angry about the match. Though Hart claims that he was simply trying to set up for their inevitable WrestleMania 13 rematch. Not over. This capacity crowd buzzing. They've never seen anything quite like this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Michael said he got it. He got all of it. Michael's got all of it. Michael to the cover. Five, two, Hart left the WWF to pursue his acting ventures. Certain he would come back in a few months, so he thought it would be, well, one and done, basically, and where he'd take a break and be back inside the squared circle in no time. The burden of being world champion now fell on the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels' shoulders. It is difficult. It's such a difficult weight to bear for any man, but HBK was about to be dealt a challenge of a lifetime that no other WWF champion before him had ever faced. When Vince McMahon decided to turn his father's wrestling promotion into a nationwide powerhouse, he effectively eliminated all of his competition by buying all of their stars. He lured wrestlers from his company with the promise of big money and name recognition. As a result, the territory quote-unquote system died out and long-standing promotions such as the AWA collapsed. One group that held on was the National Wrestling Alliance, or NWA. Multimedia Mongol Ted Turner bought the NWA, running it on his own TBS network, which we discussed last week on Beyond the Bell, on the Superstation. The promotion was renamed World Championship Wrestling, or WCW, which we're going to get into the WCW 101 series on Beyond the Bell. It all ties together, fans. Throughout the 80s and early 90s, WCW was a far cry from the WWF. They they boasted for they boasted for some for former WWF stars like Davey Boy Smith and Jake the Snake, as well as homegrown stars like Woo Nature Boy Ric Flair, Lex Luger, and a man called Sting. The WWF did not see WCW's competition, and that's well documented. They didn't think WCW would be a number one as opposed to the World Wrestling Federation. They were merely they thought. They were observed as merely just another territory to snag top stars from the big from the the, the big stud from the big show basically. I'm not talking about Paul White. All that changed in 1996. Tired of the the good old boy the quote unquote good old boys mentality of WCW, the president at the time Jim Hurd promoted announcer Eric Bischoff to the position of executive director. Bischoff had a whole new approach for WCW and wrestling in general, using an all-life format with suspenseful, reality-based programming. Bischoff took full advantage of Ted Turner's competitive spirit to gain millions to sign high-profile names, such as the immortal Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, Kevin, Diesel Nash. Bischoff procured a time slot on TNT that put WCW in direct competition with the WWF's Monday Night Raw show. There'll be another series of our Chronicles edition that's going to debut, and that'll be the Monday Night War edition, which I'm proud to speak of, and we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. In the WWF, Shawn Michaels was suddenly left out without his click teammates, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. 
he had been counting on a successful title reign against defending uh, against Hall and Nash, basically. But now he was forced to work with new opponents like Big Van Vader, Goldust, and Mick Mankind Foley. The pressure increased as WCW pulled ahead in popularity, basically owing largely to their New World Order storyline, the NWO, in which former WWF superstars attempted to dismantle and invade WCW from within. The stress and tension proved to be tough for HBK, who was on his own in a locker room filled with people who did not respect him or like him for that matter. Adding to this, Michaels made an appearance on, in Playgirl magazine, which was unprecedented for the, a WWF wrestler and made and to see someone like the world champion in that type of publication and made HBK a bona fide sex symbol, but had a backlash on his popularity with WWF's target demographic, young males. The women loved it, of course, but the men hated him. A revolution was underway as fans became more and more interested in heel characters as the NWO. Psycho Sid and Stone Cold Steve Austin were two of the biggest stars at the time. These emerging stars that started to get the popularity of the fans started to garner some more attention from those males that were pushed away from HBK. Traditional good guys such as Shawn Michaels and new star Rocky Maivia found themselves strongly booed. The renegade Philly-based promotion Extreme Championship Wrestling, ECW, added fuel to the fire by showcasing violent, hardcore matches and that the high-risk Lucha Libre style of young wrestlers like Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, and Rey Mysterio Jr., who were subsequently assigned by WCW for their cruiserweight division exclusively. WWF floundered as McMahon stuck to his tried and true formula that paled when compared to the flash and drama of WCW's programming at that time. As a result, the pressure grew on Michaels until he nearly reached the breaking point. It was around this time that WCW contacted Bret Hart. Bret had been enjoying his downtime, but was itching to get back into the ring. WCW made a multi-million dollar offer to bring him to their show, but Bret wanted to remain where he had built his legacy, the World Wrestling Federation. Although McMahon could not offer the same money as WCW, instead he offered Hart a 20-year guaranteed contract, ensuring that he would still have a job when his in-ring career ended, unprecedented at the time. The agreement also gave Hart creative control of his character for the last 30 days before he left the WWF, a condition that would be very important one year later. On live TV, Hart accepted McMahon's offer, saying, I'll be with the WWF for life. Hart returned at Survivor Series, there it goes again, 1996, and began a feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin that would culminate in an epic I Quit match at WrestleMania 13, which saw the hotly popular heel Austin turn into an anti-hero and traditionally the, the babyface Bret Hart turning into a ruthless villain. Two things on this one. I was there for the Survivor Series contest at Madison Square Garden. I'm excited for uh, the WWE to return to the Garden for Survivor Series this upcoming year. I'll be there. But being there in person for the Bret Hart-Shawn Michaels match, you sensed, you saw a superstar in Stone Cold Steve Austin. Bret Hart helped make Stone Cold into the person or superstar that he is to this very day. You got a sense that it was the old and new coming together 
in one match. It was so exciting, and you get the vibe that you were at, at the cusp of something new and innovative in the world of professional wrestling. You just felt it in the air of Madison Square Garden. As for the I Quit match, this goes down as one of my top five all-time WrestleMania matches because you saw the turn between two superstars, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the heel, and Bret the Hitman Hart, the babyface. Unprecedented in a match where you see both superstars switch roles within minutes of a, of a contest between each other and you see the beginning of a true superstar made in a babyface manner and that was Stone Cold Steve Austin flipping from heel to babyface in that one match and Bret Hart the good guy that smiling world champion turning into a heel villainous character unprecedented it was a great match to boot and the blood dripping from from Austin's face will be forever remembered as one of the most iconic images in professional wrestling history originally the main event was slated to be Hart Michaels with HBK dropping his championship to Hart at WrestleMania 13. However, Michaels refused and instead surrendered his title. And he did so famously stating on Raw, I've lost my smile in that infamous lost smile promo and he needs to go find it. At this point, Hart was disgusted with Michaels' conduct as champion and Michaels was fiercely paranoid of Hart trying to reclaim his top spot. The two men's egos now were in direct competition with each other. The stage was set for big things to come of their very personal rivalry. Vince McMahon was looking for a way to compete with WCW, that juggernaut that was developed from Ted Turner. And he realized that their reality based on predictable programming was the key to their success. He began to channel Hart and Michael's anger into suspenseful television. Michaels criticized Hart for his old school attitude and whining. Bret Hart fired back at Shawn Michaels, poking fun at his appearance in Playgirl magazine and questioning his sexuality at the time. Boy, times have changed, haven't they? At least at the same time, you could say, Steve Austin's feud with Hart basically had an turned him into a bonafide superstar and turned Hart into a hated heel. In an unprecedented move, McMahon wanted to use anti-American sentiment around the world into a storyline in which Bret Hart became a heel in America and a babyface to the rest of the world. He basically he did this by insulting the classless and arrogant American society per- personified by the flamboyant heartbreak kid. Well, the last time we saw you, Shawn Michaels, several weeks ago, uh, I think Stone Cold Steve Austin was showing his gratitude. Hello. Here we uh, go look at Stone Cold's gratitude. Now, I know what you're going to ask me on top of that. You're going to ask me if I know where Stone Cold Steve Austin is tonight. And I don't know. I got to be honest with you, I don't care. But Stone Cold... I will tell you this, if you think that all by your lonesome you can take on a pack of wild dogs like the Hart Foundation, then so be it. But I can't promise you that I won't be there again, but understand it's not to help you, it's to hurt them. Well, it seems to me that uh, Stone Cold is somewhat of a loner, but based on uh, what we just heard, I guess you're not. Well, you know something? These days, in our business, it seems to be the in thing to do to sit there and cut down the fans and tell the fans how much you don't like them 
and how much you don't want them. That seems to be the trend that's going on right now. And the thing is, I don't follow trends, I start them. So I think I'll be the guy that's going to start coming out here and sucking up to the fans of the World Wrestling Federation because somebody's got to do it. He's finally telling the truth, Ross. Well, there's no doubt that uh, you found your smile again, as you stated many times before, but is Bret Hart and, and is the Hart Foundation, are they going to find you? The search is on, Shawn Michaels, and what about it? The search is on, but the thing is, I'm not exactly hiding, and if the Hart Foundation wanted me bad enough, they'd be here right now. Now, Hart Foundation, I want you to understand something. You might run in a pack, but the click runs in a herd. That's a click. And one thing you have to understand is that there is no more powerful faction in this business than the click. Believe me when I tell you. When, uh, when, when, when is Shawn Michaels going to get back in the ring? When is Shawn Michaels going to put on the tights? When is Shawn Michaels going to wrestle for the click again? Well, that seems to be the million-dollar question. As everybody can see, I seem to be moving around pretty well. So I think that it is time for the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, to return to action, and it will happen at the King of the Ring in one month's time. Good news for the fans of Providence, Rhode Island. You and the click, Shawn Michaels, something very, very special, I must say. Obviously, the World Wrestling Federation has missed you not being in action, but it seems to me, again, that now that you're ready to return, Bret Hart, I mean... You and Brett have this, this horrible, sour-type, bitter relationship, and it seems to me it's been renewed, and Brett Hart here tonight has stated you're going down. You may not leave the building in the same situation you are now. Right. Well, wouldn't that be something different to see me get beat up? <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Now, Brett, I've heard you week after week after week cut down the American public. But you know something? He doesn't mind making those American dollars, does he, folks? Now, Brett, you may not like a society such as ours that gives a guy like Homer Simpson icon status, but this is America, land of the free, home of the brave, and we do what we want when we want to do it. So if you don't like it, don't let the door hit you on your Canadian butt on the way out. The heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, and the fans of the World Wrestling Federation have had it up to here with your whining and your crying. You may have a gang, but Bret Hart, if I have to go, through each and every one of the Hart Foundation to get to you. Believe me, that's what I'm going to do. And Hitman, 
when I get a hold of you, I am going to tear you to pieces. I guarantee it. At the King of the Ring, we'll keep you apprised of that on the WWF Superstar line. The big news about the summer of 97. Don Michael's turning this crowd on like nobody else, but yes, he is a marked man. The Hart Foundation made it very, very clear. The Hart Foundation has put the mark on Don Michael's and will tonight be the night. You know, John Michael goes down. Hey, he's always said he's got more guts than brains. Well, he's demonstrating right now that he's brainless. Because if he had a brain, he'd leap over this guardrail and he'd go. Hey, listen, listen. Listen up. Hey, boy toy. Yeah, it's me. I'm talking to you. You know, I don't mind if you make fun of me, but don't make fun of the Simpsons. <laughs> you know, Shawn Michaels, I should have wiped you out a few weeks ago when I put that sharpshooter on you. You know, the, the figure four on the post. That should have been the last thing that they ever saw you. Except for the guys or the girls. Sean. You know, you like to talk a tough game and all your, oh, you're gonna come back at the, the king of the ring and you're, you're all healed up and you've, you've found your smile. You know what I think? You've been looking pretty good the last couple of weeks. Running in every night with chairs. Seem to have this overabundance of courage. I don't think there's a whole lot wrong with your knee. And I don't see any point in waiting till the king of the ring. Sexy boy. So if you got the jam, why don't you take on the man that saved my life? I ask you, will you accept the challenge from Jim the Anvil Neidhart right here, right now, tonight on Raw? Bret Hart embraced the entire world and hated the United States. Hart formed a heel faction that included his brother Owen Hart, brother-in-law Jim Neidhart, and Davy Boy Smith, the Dungeon graduate Brian Pillman, and temporarily Canadian Doug Furness and Phil LaFon at the time. Hart criticized Michaels for his juvenile antics and immoral behavior, and so Michaels turned the volume up on both partnering with Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who is now called Triple H, and his so-called bodyguard female wrestler Joni Lara, which was known as China. China. They formed a faction called Degeneration X, or DX, I think you may have heard of them, haven't you? If you haven't, go back to our famous faction series on Beyond the Bell. The babyface Shawn Michaels quickly descended into a cool heel, and that mode pulled him into that sophomore type of character as they pulled pranks and made lewd jokes. He says, I figured, why can't we just do the stuff that makes us laugh backstage? For his first crotch chop, Michaels was fined by McMahon for misconduct. However, DX's dis- disrespectful tone caught on with the fans, actually, who saw DX as WWF's version to the NWO. McMahon saw the shift in business and basically gave Michaels free reign to do as much of the R-rated material as he wanted. That unbelievable. You saw the shift from the former PG content into the Attitude Rated R era. So he gave Michaels free reign to do as much of the rated R material as he wanted. 
WCW was shackled by Turner's broadcasting standards, and so WWF was able to get away with far more gross-out humor than the NWO. It handcuffed Bischoff. That's what McMahon was looking for. McMahon capitalized on that, creating more far-out and controversial characters, such as the pimp-themed Godfather and porn star-themed Val Venus, as well as parading out scantily-clad valet Rena Sable Marrow, all leading to spike in business for the WWF. For his part, Hart detested the new attitude, and it only fueled his on-screen persona's wrath. Michaels began to take his public criticisms of Hart to another level, accusing Hart of cheating on his wife with female manager Tammy Sonny Sitch. After this incident, Hart lost his patience and attacked Michaels backstage. Though McMahon reprimanded both men, he did have them restage the event for WWF television, only Vince. McMahon had learned the WSW formula. Now all he needed was a way to pull ahead. He found the opportunity in the popularity of Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was winning over still more fans with his blue-collar hero persona. Austin's rebellious character caught on big, huge with fans and allowed the WWF to finally start to mount a comeback against WSW's powerhouse ratings. Chair in, and you see members of the, the Hart Foundation over by Brett. He asked over by Shawn Michaels and quite a hand for Ken Shamrock, who was robbed here tonight, perhaps, of the WWF title, which certainly sets up the Survivor Series on pay-per-view Sunday, November the 9th. Michaels challenging Bret Hart for the WWF title. I tell you what, anytime Michaels and Brett get in the same ring at the same time, the same state, yeah, hell could break loose at any moment. And here they go! Here they go! Michaels and Hart trying to tear each other's heart right out! And they're not going to wait for the Survivor Series. They're a long way. It's a long way from Tulsa to Montreal. The hatred spewing from both Brett Hart and from Shawn Michaels. And officials continuing in front of him. Here goes Michaels right after him. Michaels yanking Brett's hair. Michaels trying to throw punches. And Brett Hart just got a shot in. There has never been a personal rivalry like the Brett Hart sound Pat and, Patterson. Oh my goodness. Trying to knock down Pat Patterson. And China. Shoving it for Here it comes. Here it comes. Michaels again. Here they go. Shots on us, Michaels. Trying to keep these two apart. These two animals want to tear each other apart. Man, I'll tell you what, can you imagine the emotion that we are going to feel in Montreal, Quebec, Canada? Feel it now. At the Survivor Series. Rude. DX out there trying to keep Michaels at bay. And Bret Hart. Uh oh, now, now watch, you get a talk. I bet he talked. I bet he tossed Michaels with the championship belt. Michaels. Yeah, five times, that's for sure. Michaels. The face of Bret Hart at the Survivor Series. Another important decision was made by McMahon, this time in the boardroom rather than, than the squared circle. The company was going, pub- going to basically publicly trade their stock. They were going 
public, ladies and gentlemen. One of the conditions for this change was that McMahon would need to wipe out all long-term deals from the company. This included Hart's 20-year deal. Hart was furious when McMahon suggested he might basically want Brett to contact WCW now. McMahon clearly wanted to let Hart out of his contract, seeming to have no further use for the hitman. Hart was hurt by Vince's disinterest and began his negotiations with WCW. A deal was eventually struck, and an end date for Hart's time in the WWF was set. There was just one dilemma. Hart was still the WWF champion. In order to fully capitalize on Austin's popularity, McMahon decided an Austin-Michaels match for the WWF championship would, would be the perfect WrestleMania main event. This was contingent, however, on Bret Hart's willingness to drop the title to Shawn Michaels at the Survivor Series in Montreal. Hart stated to McMahon that he would be happy to lose the belt to any superstar on the roster except Shawn Michaels. HBK had shown his complete and utter disrespect and had consistently refused to lose the title to him. Hart refused. For the first time in his career, he refused to lose a match. He refused to lose the match. And because Hart had creative control of, of his exit, he was entitled to say so. That leads us to the Montreal incident, which turned into the Montreal screw job at Survivor Series. When we return from heartbreak and hatred, we go over the Montreal screw job between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Their rivalry continues on Beyond the Bell via the SNS Radio Network. Stay with us. You know, in the world of pro wrestling radio, there's always someone out there who will always try to get under your skin. I want to really drive Andy to the point where he wants to choke me out. Because I'm going to drive him right off the edge of the cliff. They'll always try, but in the end, it always comes down to the truth. That moment when uh, Silent Rage blows the gasket, this match is over. You know, I'm really just a nice guy at heart. But... Don't piss me off, okay? I mean, come on. The truth is going to hurt someone. Catch your weekly search for the truth right here on the Pro Wrestling Rewind every Wednesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern, exclusively on the SNS Radio Network. Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle, and you're listening on the SNS Radio Network. I'm a wrestler because at the core of me, I'm a wrestling fan. Wrestling is all about telling stories of good versus evil, and you get to see them duke it out. 
face to face in the ring. There is nothing like that feeling of being able to go through that curtain and hear that crowd either boo or cheer. I don't care if they're booing or cheering, as long as they're making noise. There's nothing like it. It's not just the wrestling. It's not just the storytelling. It's both combined. I didn't aspire to just be an entertainer. I aspired to be an entertaining wrestler. Anybody can be an entertainer. But it takes a certain someone, a certain special someone, to be an entertaining wrestler. In Impact Wrestling, the training wheels are off. I'm not told how to be myself. I just am able to be myself. If you don't like it, well then, you can cheer for the guy that's coming out to kick my ass. It's a night of victories. We have witnessed history here tonight. A night of champions. John Cena is WWE Champion. A night of dreams. Ladies and gentlemen, dreams do come true. A night of change. It's my destiny to be the new champion. It's a night you will never forget. WWE Night of Champions, a night where every championship will be defended. Live Sunday, September 18th, only on Pay-Per-View. Welcome back to Heartbreak and Hatred, the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels story on Beyond the Bell. Early on in the Monday Night Wars, Eric Bischoff had resorted to vicious tactics when competing with the WWF. Since WCW Monday Nitro was live and Raw was taped, Bischoff would go out of his way to give out results to the WWF shows before they aired and criticized their choice of main events. He hired WWF Women's Champion Alundra Blaze, now Medusa, and previously Medusa, and had her bring the championship belt on air in WCW television. Famously, throwing it in the garbage can at the WCW announce team's booth. Because of these practices, McMahon was suspicious of any wrestler dealing with Bischoff. When Hart refused to put Michaels over, McMahon was clearly suspicious that Bischoff's hand was in Hart's decision. At the time, Bischoff was actually fighting a losing war against his own company. WCW was bought out as part of the AOL Time Warner merger and found itself under new scrutiny. There's no way they would have let me put the WF title on Nitro because of the potential lawsuit, says Bischoff in his book, Controversy Creates Cash. At the time, however, McMahon didn't know this and feared that Bischoff may have given Hart extra money to bring the title with him. McMahon was determined that Hart should not leave Montreal with the title. Hart McMahon discussed the subject hotly. Hart suggested he drop the title to Steve Austin or McFoley, but McMahon was set on having the new champion be the, the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels. Hart offered to forfeit the title, but McMahon wanted a new champion crowned. The two sides were at a stalemate, and Survivor Series was fast approaching. At last, McMahon conceded that a match would that the main event match would end in a double disqualification, and Hart would forfeit the title the, the next night on Raw. The day of the match, Hart spoke to Michaels and set up the match. They had a very civil meeting to plan their match out. 
the last time two of the all-time greats would lock up. They decided to break tradition once more, starting the match outside the ring in a brawl through the audience before the bell rang. This is a, is a tradition that has lasted a long time in the wrestling business now. Hart met with McMahon once more to go over the plan. After cautioning from the Undertaker and Vader, whose experiences in Japan had taught them to be wary of situations like this, Hart spoke to referee Earl Hebner. Hebner told Hart that if, he, if it came down to it, he said, I swear on my kids, he would not help McMahon betray Hart. Satisfied, Hart suited up for the event. The match went as planned until the final moments. As Owen Hart and Davy Boy Smith waited for their entrance cue, they were slated to do a run-in and cause a disqualification. They were asked to find Triple H, who was also scheduled to run in. Hart and Smith searched, unaware that Triple H was actually down at ringside. McMahon himself had an increased number of security guards also arrive. As planned, referee Hebner was knocked down during the match, and Michaels put Hart's own sharpshooter finisher on him. Before Hart could reverse the hold as planned, Hebner signaled that Hart had submitted. McMahon shouted, Ring the damn bell! At the timekeeper, the bell rang, and officially the title changed hands. We had a new World Wrestling Federation champion, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels! Hart looked stunned. Michaels looked furious cursing at McMahon's officials and picking up the belt with a look of disgust as he exited. The show went off the air immediately, but the drama continued. As Hart realized what had been done to him, he spat in McMahon's face and destroyed several expensive ringside monitors. He was able to collect himself and re-enter the ring, making I love you gestures to the audience and spelling out WCW in the air with his finger. Hart went to the backstage air and confronted Michaels, who insisted he had nothing to do with it. Michaels claimed he would not accept the belt in that fashion. A lot of people were very uneasy that day. You could feel a little tension in the air. The title will be on the line. It was an eerie day. Brett wasn't there. He wasn't there all day. He didn't come till very late. And then, you know, boom, right away he came in, bam, they're behind closed doors. I didn't want to leave with any problems. I actually didn't want to leave at all. And then it's the point where there was no other choice but to go. The way this whole thing has been depicted, it's really hard for me as a hero here to come up short this weekend. Um, what would you want to do today then? I'm open to you. I think what I'd like to do is get through today. I think tomorrow I should just go in and do my speech and forfeit the title. I think it allows me a chance to leave with my head up and leave in a nice way. I mean, I don't have to be Sean. We can have a Shamaz or whatever you want. I, I would think it'd be a run-in type thing. But, yeah. But I'm open to anything. No, I think that's... I'm open to anything. And I was troubled uh, and, and anxious all day. So there's a certain angst when you have to make a decision and you know it's going to be an unpopular one. You know someone's going to get hurt. Even though it's conflict with me because it was with Brett, it really, it's more of a conflict between Brett and Vince. Vince had made this decision to let him go, but I was the one wrestling. I was the guy that had the history with him. I was the guy that, as is well documented, Brett had trouble with and I with him. So that makes for a real volatile situation. And, and again, we, we didn't disappoint. Four 
me, usually on pay-per-views, for me, everything's about the match. This was a situation where nothing was about the match. It was about the whole other situation around it, and I have no idea if the match was any good. I don't think it was. We were all around gorilla position, which is the control position at the pay-per-views and live television. And at that time, I believe uh, Owen had come up, Davey, Boy Smith, British Bulldog, was at gorilla position. Of course, Pat Patterson was there. Pat did not know anything that was coming down. Nobody at Gorilla, except for me, uh, knew exactly what was going to happen. Michaels, are you going to try to beat Bret Hart with a sharpshooter? Yes, he is! Are you kidding me? There's a time-honored tradition in the wrestling business that when someone is leaving, that they show the right amount of respect to the superstars in this case, who helped make you that superstar. You show the proper respect to the organization that helped you become who you are today. It's a time-honored tradition, and Bret Hart didn't want to honor that tradition. Vince had taken a seat at ringside, and Vince instructed the timekeeper to ring the bell. And when he rang the bell, of course, the action stopped in the ring. Earl Hebner immediately slid out of the ring. I knew it was going down ten minutes before the match was supposed to go on. I flew through the ring and headed right down the ramp, the runway, and went down the steps, got in the car, and left probably was on my way out of the building when a lot of this stuff was still going on. Brett was hurt. There's no question about that. And as a result of it, I, I felt a responsibility to Brett. I hung around uh, that night. First of all, I was at ringside when the decision was made, and Brett knew exactly what had happened. He made the only decision he could make from a company standpoint. People will debate that. Until you run a million dollar, billion dollar company, you don't have really any place to even get in the debate. But still, from my perspective, I knew that there was no way in the world I was going to be anything but the bad guy. Whether I knew or I didn't know was irrelevant. On the way out, I was just telling Sean to stick close to me and, you know, that he did a great job and don't stop to say anything to anybody, no matter what the comments. And there were a lot of derogatory comments thrown at Sean and myself. I think it took a lot of courage to do what Sean Michaels did that night. The scene there in the back was just stunned silence because it's one of those things that gets talked about. A lot of lip service in the wrestling business. One of those things that gets talked about, but nobody ever really does it. So it was stunned silence in the back. Um, and then in the dressing room, it was... Uh... Sean, you were in on that? Uh, yes, I know. Um... And, you know, so how would I find out? It's because I was told <laughs> this is the decision we're making. It was a gutsy thing for Sean to do. And I knew in, in asking Sean to participate in this that 
I, I could have been compromising Sean's values as well. I wasn't because my interpretation is that Sean thought this was absolutely the right thing to do. Was asked to do something by the man that has, has given me the opportunity to have everything that I have in my life. Um, that I've that has stuck with me, that I that I've stuck with. He asked me to do it, and I did it, and I'm not sorry for it. The night before, Vince had asked me to go to Sean's room and to work up several different scenarios to go into the actual finish situation that we were going to ring the bell on, and then to go over with Sean some protection holds in case Brett grabbed uh, Sean and and tried to physically hurt Sean, which he didn't because he was too concerned with Vince. So Gerald Briscoe told me that um, this was about an hour after the event was over, said that uh, Brett really wants to see you, and uh, and he's threatened, quite frankly, to beat the out of you. I said, well, that's not going to happen, but, you know, I will go over there and I'll let him get his free shot in. I felt like I owed that to Brett. As Brett approached me uh, to do as much damage as he probably thought he could or whatever, uh, Gerald Briscoe steps on my ankle and it becomes almost a comedy now when you look back on it. Gerald broke my ankle. Brett nailed me right in the temple. Down I go like a ton of bricks. After it was over, there was a certain amount of relief on my part, a certain amount of sorrow on my part that Brett would have hit me. And I really feel as though I have paid my debt to Brett. I don't owe Brett anything. The scene outside was a, was a mob scene. It's in Canada, Brett's hometown. So they got me out, they got me to the hotel, up into the room, and then I just sat there with, with Hunter in, in China. And, and just, I can't, you know, it's done. I mean, we, it, it, was, it was very, very surreal. I mean, it's, again, it's one of those things to talk about it. But it's another thing to, you know, to, I mean, it's done. That one night, I think Shawn Michaels became a real man and a real stand-up person in my mind. And I'll judge by what you do tomorrow night, said Hart, inferring that Michaels would prove himself by what he did on Raw. McMahon eventually came to speak with Hart, but Hart was in no mood to see him and told McMahon to leave by the time he finished showering or he'd knock his lights out. McMahon stayed, and Hart followed through with his promise. It would be Hart's last time in a WWF locker room for the next 12 years. Not only did Hart leave the WWF that day, but Jim the Anvil Knight Hart and the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, as well as Rick, Ru Rick Rude, all exited soon after. Quickly snatched up by WCW, McMahon refused to let Owen Hart out of his contract and threatened Breath with legal action if he tried to help Owen escape. Quote unquote. McFoley also gave his notice, but reconsidered given his career options. Brett often cites Foley as an example of someone who, who stood by him in, at this very time. The next night on Raw, Shawn Michaels declared, I beat Bret Hart for the WWF Championship in his own hometown with his own move. He then pretended to wrestle with a midget dressed as the hitman. There was no denying Brett was a hero in Canada which made the situation going into the Survivor Series in the fall of 1997 a sore subject with Brett to this day. Nobody took more pride in this company and the, um, you know, I had so much respect for this company and I never wanted to leave this company. 
I could could never ever see working for uh, another organization because I think it would be a step down. You know, as I understand, there's certain wrestling organizations that seem to be throwing a lot of money around. Uh, but I'd like to make it very well understood that that I'm not somebody that's greedy for money. I'm always uh, I'm, I'm a person that's greedy for respect. And uh, the only place I'm ever going to get respect is in the World Wrestling Federation. We were very, very close personally and professionally, and I told him that, you know, that I thought the only thing that could ever come between us would be uh, Ted Turner's money. And in a way, that is exactly what happened. I'm not absolving myself of, you know, of, of what I did, okay, but, but that is what happened. The whole set of circumstances and ultimately the negotiations with Bret Hart uh, took place in late 1997. Uh, and actually there were two sets of conversations. I think one was a meeting that Bret and I took uh, very discreetly. I believe we were the only two that knew we were meeting. Um, I believe that. Could be wrong. WCW thought that, man, that this is the coup of coups. We're stealing Bret Hart from the uh, WWE. All the while, the whole thing was being orchestrated by Vince McMahon. Both he and I orchestrated his ability to go to WCW. We did that together. I made it clear to Brett that the belt was not a factor and do whatever he needed to do to wrap up business at WWE and, uh, you know, start with a brand new slate in WCW. There was never any, any possibility or consideration that I was ever going to show up in WCW with the belt. But I think WWE, they didn't know that. And if we would have had a, if we would have had the kind of relationship where I could have communicated that uh, to WWE executives, I'm sure they wouldn't have believed me. There's a time-honored tradition in the wrestling business. And when people throw out this uh, time-honored tradition thing, Bret Hart never refused to do anything ever. All I can say is I followed the traditions of the business and I did what was right. And I stood up for myself. I stood up for all the wrestlers in the dressing room, or at least a strong majority of them. And I stood up for um, for everything that this business is all about, about trust and uh, respect. And uh, I wasn't um, rewarded in kind for the same thing. I think you have to look at it in terms of Brett making decisions and me making decisions under the circumstances that existed then, not under the circumstances that exist now. So we, we knew Brett was leaving, and, and the Survivor Series would probably be his last pay-per-view for us. It's a battle for the world championship, but there's more at stake. For two proud legends who share utter contempt for one another, get ugly. I'm going to kick your little scrawny ass. I will bring the pain. All you got to do is show up. Bret Hart battles Shawn Michaels. The heartbreak kid will own. It was about personalities. It was about lack of respect. Survivor Series wasn't about Bret Hart losing in Canada. And God knows I'd lost in Canada enough times in my career and uh, wasn't necessarily the factor. All the, all the variables that you love as a broadcaster are there. Big crowd, loud, boisterous, enthusiastic, great, two great rivals in the ring, two artists. You know, you got you got uh, Van Gogh and, and Rembrandt. They're painting, man. They're, they're, they're creating art. 
This match was a long journey in itself. But 18 months. That's what you made. To get it done. And the smart money is, is that you will never, ever see it again. Not something that uh, I ever expected. You know, it's not how I saw my career ending in this company. What is, look at this! Oh, you're kidding me. Michaels, are you going to try to beat Bret Hart with a sharpshooter? Yes, he is! Are you kidding me? It was a very hurtful time for me, and I felt that I, and I still do, I think I deserved a little more than that, and I thought it was a little, um, I always believed that it was totally unnecessary, that I was far too, um, valuable, too much of a professional, and had given too much. To make Brett lose with a signature move, that's disgusting. That's it, man. <laughs> He's leaving for the WCW, which is unfortunate, but I think they should have found a better way for him to get to get rid of the belt. Unfair. Bullshit. Uh, Brett, the hitman Hart, he got cheated. He never got along with Vince McMahon. Oh, Survivor Series was awful. I couldn't believe that the Hearts lost. It's a, it's a conspiracy. Moi, je pense que Bret Hart s'est fait uh, complètement. C'est pas vrai parce que je pense que c'est une conspiracy par le, le referee puis Vince McMahon parce que Bret Hart est trop bon pour ça. C'est tout. It's horrible. Bret Hart is the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. We will always love you, Bret. I had given too much and dedicated too much. And it was too hurtful, not just to me, but even to my father and my family and even Owen. It was a really difficult time to, to try to understand that and to not be affected by that is, um, I mean, if you... If anybody ever had to walk in a pair of shoes, so I hear people make comments and and judge what happened that day and sort of make their make conclusions as to what who was right, and who was wrong, or what happened, or you know that it was about my ego, or it was about my money, or it was about Canada, or they don't know what they don't know the circumstances. all the years that I was in the business, um, I think the disrespect and the uh, insult that was, um, it didn't just go through me, but it went through um, my father, it affected Holwyn, it affected so many people, and I've had it suggested to me that what happened between Vince and I in, a, in the dressing room was, wasn't right to have that happen, and that it was... And I'm sure it was a very difficult thing for Shane McMahon to, uh, you know, to witness the whole sort of this breakdown of um, this almost father-son relationship that I had with uh, Vince. You know, it's a shame, but uh, people always need to remember that uh, my kids are in the audience too, and um, you know, I, um, I always um, stand by what I did. I think there's regret on both of us as far as those decisions or even having to make those decisions. And whether or not they would be made that way today in retrospective, I don't know. There was a lack of communication is what Vince talked to me about. And I think 
that there was a lack of communication. I believe I conducted myself in, uh, in a respectful way, and I did it with integrity, and I stand by how I behaved, and my, I stand by my actions. I suppose there's always going to be people who are going to look at it from different sides, and it's like one of those things where either on one side of it or you're on the other side of it, and uh, either way, whatever side you're on, you probably don't know the facts behind it, and uh, you know, for people to second guess and put themselves in Vince's shoes, and or for people to second guess and put themselves in my shoes, you can't do that. It's my understanding that um, Vince wouldn't change what he did. And that's fair enough, I suppose. You know, he did what he thought he had to do or felt he had to do. But I would never change anything that I did. And um, my um, position is that, uh, you know, history speaks for itself. And uh, um, I stand by what I did. The end of an era now took place. The WWF rolled on without the hitman. Stone Cold Steve Austin was taking the WWF by storm and was fast becoming the hottest star since Hulk Hogan. At the 1998 Royal Rumble, Austin won the Rumble match and would be placed into the main event against the WWF champion at WrestleMania 14. During that same night, Shawn Michaels defended his title against The Undertaker in a casket match. Partway through, a backdrop by The Undertaker sent Shawn flying over the top rope landing back first on the casket, crushing one disc in his spine and herniating two others. The injury was a career-ending one that would put Shawn Michaels out of wrestling for several years. He states, If I can't perform at 100%, he said, I don't want to do it at all. However, Shawn Michaels chose to continue performing through WrestleMania, mainly appearing for non-wrestling segments promoting the match and occasional tag team matches with Triple H. In the months leading up to WrestleMania, McMahon pulled out all the stops to create buzz around the main event, bringing the controversy right to the WWF as bringing in the controversial boxer, Iron Mike Tyson, as the special guest enforcer. McMahon showed that he had learned from the success of the HBK Bret Hart storyline, injecting reality into his storylines, made it even more compelling and dramatic. Eric Bischoff had made WCW number one by using his bad reputation with fans to his advantage. McMahon was about to do the same thing. McMahon did an interview with Jim Ross in which he blamed Hart's selfishness for the Montreal situation. McMahon's face was prominently marred by a black eye from where Hart had punched him. Whether it was extra makeup is still up in the air. Vince McMahon didn't screw Bret Hart, he said. Brett screwed Brett. Brett screwed Brett. For years after McMahon's entrances into WWF arenas, as well as the entrance of referee Earl Hebner, would incite chants of you screw Brett from the audience. McMahon instantly became the hottest heel in the company, and he took advantage of it by placing himself in the Austin Michaels storyline, casting himself as the evil corporate bully Mr. McMahon. In this role, he would be the antithesis of the blue-collar, beer-drinking, stone-cold Steve Austin. The question loomed, however, as to whether or not HBK would put Austin over at WrestleMania or simply relinquish yet another title after the match. 
In the end, with some convincing from McMahon, and possibly The Undertaker, Michaels agreed to lose the title cleanly. Michaels believed that it would be the end of his in-ring career, and he worked hard to send himself off with style. After the match, Michaels went into semi-retirement, occasionally making television appearances as the on-screen WWF commissioner. He opened a wrestling school in San Antonio, Texas, the Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy. He also served as a local sportscaster for his hometown of San Antonio. HBK would return to the wrestling ring in 2003 with a decidedly different attitude. A born-again Christian, Michaels approached wrestling with a new sense of humility. He no longer proudly refused to lose big matches and would go on to have some of the greatest performances of his career and often losing efforts against stars as Kurt Angle, John Cena, Randy Orton, Chris Benoit, and the late matches or the late series with The Undertaker, which led to his retirement. Right, ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to bring this man out to the ring. Once again, the chairman of the WCW Executive Committee, Mr. James J. Dillon. I understand back in the staging area here tonight at Nitro, Eric Bischoff is throwing a tantrum. Oh, my. Well, he's, uh, he's beside himself, and I don't know what he could possibly be upset about. He knows how badly WCW has wanted this match. He knows that I personally committed to making the match, and everything he's come up with, I've agreed to. You know, he's trying to weasel out of this thing uh, constantly, week after week. He's coming up with stipulations, throwing them in, but you're coming back at it pretty good, J.J. That's right. No matter what he comes up with, I think he's basically figured out I'm going to say yes, because I haven't said no to anything so far. Well, the latest one, of course, he asking for a number of... Uh, apparently, we have got another uninvited guest. Gentlemen, please bear with me. This is getting to the point. It is making me physically ill, Tony. Hey, just look at him making physically ill. And someone actually likes him. Who likes him? I, some lady. I, I, I'm not getting into that. Oh, wow. We. He's that type. Obviously, you've got something on your mind, Bischoff. It's real simple. I want to know who he thinks he's going to use for a referee in my match. Boy, you've gone through everything. Now it's a referee. Will you give me a break? I can come up with a qualified referee. Randy Anderson. Don't get me better than him. Another fat guy. No, I don't think so. Let me tell you something. I want a tall referee. A tall referee that can see everything from every angle. Kevin Nash, take it or leave it. Oh, no, 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 no. No, not Kevin Nash. That's ridiculous. He's asking for Kevin Nash. You know what will happen there. Scott Dickinson. Now, Scott Dickinson is very qualified. J.J., you can't keep picking guys fatter than you. I move. I go. Well, maybe you've got a suggestion. Somebody that can keep up with me. Give me a suggestion. Six. Six. Hey, listen, he's got a bad neck. He can't hurt anybody. Oh, get lost. He's going to call it right down the middle. I don't think he's physically up to the chore. Anyway, J.J., this is like a test again for you. I think I've got it figured out where he's going. I'll tell you what. What if I pick somebody, one of your guys, and I'll agree to it. I'll agree to pick one of your guys to be the referee, but, but, but you let me pick which one. Wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no. You're going to pick an NWO guy? 
One of his guys. One of your guys. No, don't. That's... But I got to pick which one. No problem. Scott Norton, Conan, Buff, the stuff, you name it. You... We have got is, a deal. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is no problem the same as yes? You pick yes. Did he say yes? What, what, what's J.J. doing here? Well, now that we got that little thing out of the way... Ironed out. Would, would you like to meet who I picked? Right now! Right now? Right now! Me, Gene, why don't we bring the man out that's going to referee this match? Okay. It's been... Oh! There he is! Ladies and gentlemen! There he is! Eric loves it. Look at this, ladies and gentlemen. No doubt about it, he is here. One of the biggest moments in Nitro. One the of biggest us. stars in our sport. This is getting to be more like let's make a deal, and apparently this is... Uh, That's my choice. Closer with all parties concerned. Bret Hart, welcome to Nitro. Welcome to Nitro. Took a long time to get here. And it's great to be here. It's great to be in Ric Flair country. This is it. That's the magic. So if you're looking for a referee, is that what you want? Referee. I would be honored to be the referee for this match. Yo, Fred, man! 7.5 mil a year, Ted's Turner's money. You, me, for life! Well, I don't know what's your association, just what we've seen in the past. Pretty happy. He is very happy. But... Do what you can, win if you can, but don't look to me for any help. Whoa! 7.5 a year and you get this? Because nobody knows better than I do what it's like to get screwed over by a referee. <laughs> so you're on your own, Jack. You're on your own, Bischoff. I think he said Jack. Jack is good enough for me, too. Look at this guy's beside himself. Tony. He's going down. Whoa. I think wait, we, a, wait a minute. There, there may be some more book made here. As I said, she's having an aneurysm. To look more like, let's make a deal every day. Brad. 7.5 mil a year, weekends off. Brett. Tony, we're going to leave that up in the air as I throw it back to you guys. Uh, enough is enough. Red Hart turns around on that one. 
Bischoff doesn't know what to do. You know, it, it, he's trying to come up with a thought, a plan, and it something. goes. It goes back to our thought: Is he NWO or not? I still don't know. But he is here, and he will be the special referee for Eric Bischoff and Larry Zbyszko at Starcade. If Shawn Michaels' story was one of redemption, Bret Hart's became one of loss. Hart floundered in WCW. The disappointment of Montreal still lingered in his mind. It certainly did not help that the, the, the WWF used the screwjob events consistently as a part of storylines involving McMahon going forward with The Rock and McFoley as one of the examples. Although he was consistently matched with top WCW names such as Sting, Lex Luger, and Diamond Dallas Page, Hart entered WCW at a time when the pecking order was firmly established and he was not a part of it. Hart did capture the WCW World Championship twice, but at that point the belt had lost most of its meaning, changing hands on a consistent, on a basically a never-ending constant basis. Hart had no love for the company and blamed Eric Bischoff for having a lack of vision. While Bischoff claimed Hart was impossible to work with because of his emotional scars he felt from 1997. We're going to screw you in this match and then when you finish up in WCW you come back and we're going to you're going to revive it back up. I would have been open-minded to anything like that. I was all I wanted to do was do business. Vince had paid me a really good contract. I think it was the highest paid wrestler in the company at that time, maybe ever. And I really wanted to contribute. And if you look at my uh, matches that I had from in 1997, Stone Cold, um, Sean, uh, some of the matches I had in 1997 were Undertaker at SummerSlam, yeah. and even the match at Survivor Series itself that was never f- fulfilled, because it was ne- we only did about 25-30% of what the match was supposed to be. Right. You know, we would have we would have had great matches all the time, Sean and I, if, if if we could have somehow just got past our egos. But for me, I think I was in my prime in 1997. I was having as good a match as I ever had, and I was trying as hard as I could for the company who was losing that at that time, losing the war against WCW, which I still scratch my head today and go, I don't know how anybody would ever watch WCW over WWE. It just never made any sense. I remember the stuff that I was doing with Sean stuff I was doing with Undertaker and the stuff that I was doing with uh, Stone Cold to me was a million miles not even close to what they were doing in the NWO and all that crap I mean I thought it was absolute garbage and I thought it was garbage then and I don't think it could be put them side by side today on the same screen and you tell me which is better wrestling I mean there's no com- no comparison between what anybody was doing in WCW and what I was doing with Stone Cold, Sean, and Undertaker. Nope. It's just a shame that we couldn't have utilized all that in a professional way. Rather than Brett carried the weight of Montreal with him wherever he went. In a personal conversation he had with Brother Owen, he said it felt like the man had killed his character. The WWF blew his brains out, he said. Owen countered Brett, telling him there is nothing in this business worth dying for. And then later, in the May of 1999, the unthinkable happened. During a comedic stunt for the World Wrestling Federation pay-per-view, Owen fell to his death from the catwalk of the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri. It was two weeks before his plan to move into his dream home with his wife and children, two years short of his planned retirement. The effect on Brett was devastating. He stepped away from WCW to handle Owen's family affairs, as well as the proposed wrongful death lawsuit against the WWF. 
Bischoff gave Hart freedom to make his decisions and end his contract if necessary. Shortly afterward, McMahon arranged a meeting with Brett to discuss what had happened. The two men basically met alone on a park bench in Calgary, the first time they had spoken since Montreal. They attempted to put their problems behind them and focus on the future, parting with a handshake and a promise to keep the Hart legacy alive. This deal was broken when the other members of the Hart family convinced McMahon that Brett was the driving force behind the lawsuit because of his bitterness over Montreal. The hitman decided to, to stay with WCW through the end of his contract. He wrestled a match with his former student Chris Benoit at the Kemper Arena in a tribute to his brother. Hart entered a feud with WCW top star, former NFL star Bill Goldberg, at WCW Starcade in 1999. Hart defended the championship against Goldberg. During the course of the match, Hart was caught unaware with a, a kick to the head from Goldberg resulting in a severe concussion. Unaware of the severity of his condition, Hart continued wrestling, taking painkillers from the WCW doctor. He speculates that he may have suffered more concussions in the coming days due to his condition, worsening his, his situation. When at last he saw a specialist, Hart was diagnosed with a career-ending injury. Hart was quietly released in 2000, WCW ending his legendary career with a termination letter via FedEx. Being a stay-at-home father after being gone so long only created more tension in Hart's household, leading to a divorce from his wife, Julie. Their rocky relationship had long been a burden on both of them, and the divorce would serve as a new beginning for both. However, shortly afterward, Hart suffered a stroke after falling from a bicycle near his home. A passerby found Hart and helped him call his ex-wife for assistance getting, getting him to the hospital. He would tempor temporarily lose control of the left side of his body, requiring grueling physical therapy. Hart states that he had always feared being another wrestling tragedy. He had seen so many friends and co-workers die at tragically young ages because of their rigors of, of life and the career and the industry that they're a part of as a professional wrestler. Brian Pillman, Davey Boy Smith, Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, and far too many more. Hart was determined that he would not make peace with the ghost of his past. In 2006, he accepted the WWE's invitation to join their Hall of Fame, making an appearance shortly before WrestleMania 22 to accept the award. He did not feel comfortable attending the WrestleMania event, partly due to the presence of his old adversary, Shawn Michaels. The two men still had not spoken since the moments following the Survivor Series match. And in fact, right before it was, Brett, it was the time for Bret Hart to be inducted in the Hall of Fame ceremony, Shawn Michaels and his wife very quietly snuck out and made themselves absent for Bret Hart's induction due to his wishes, or what they thought may have been his wishes. And we finish up with the old school meeting the new school. The rivalry finally ends. Both Sean and Brett contributed so much to the sports entertainment world, but perhaps none so significant as representing the final battle of old school versus new school in professional wrestling. Brett always took the wrestling business to heart, while Sean always treated it as show business, basically. Hart grew up with wrestling as it was in the 50s and 60s. Dim lit, blood, and 
and protecting the business, while Sean personified the flashy pageantry and showmanship that would become WWF's trademark in the years to come, especially how it is today, leading to the WWE Network. Bret Hart held his ground on matters of principle and reputation. His hitman character would never back down from any fight and always battle for what he believed in. Sean's in-ring persona changed often throughout the years depending upon what was good for business. Hart says that he was consumed by bitterness for many years following the Montreal Screwjob. His devotion and loyalty to McMahon and, and the trust he placed in Michaels had been abused, and he felt that his hitman character had been destroyed. These are the thoughts that would never occur to Shawn Michaels, who had always kept his on-screen character at an arm's length of himself. To him, HBK was a character that he played, like any other TV, TV or film actor, rather than an extension of himself who needed to to act as he would, perhaps this is why it was impossible for these two men to be friends. Hart was, in a sense, the last of a dying breed of wrestler. Men who favored skill over style, toughness over charisma. In Bret Hart, the old school tradition of men like Killer Kowalski, Denny Hodge, Stu Hart, Bruno Sammartino, Hart saw himself as the tradition. He saw its last hurrah. The new generation of fans favored wrestlers who could give them larger-than-life characters, intense personalities, and highlight reels-worthy maneuvers over counter-wrestling and kayfabe. In Shawn Michaels, the new school future of stars like John Cena, Jeff Hardy, Chris Jericho, and The Rock truly began. On January 4, 2010, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels met inside the square circle for the first time in 12 years. It was a symbolic bearing of the hatchet for Hart. Several years earlier, Hart had accepted WWE's invitation to the Hall of Fame, but had been unwilling to attend WrestleMania and didn't feel comfortable sharing the ring with Shawn, like we said. But in 2010, Hart shook Michael's hand on Raw in an unscripted conversation that played out before millions of fans. At that moment, neither man served as a generation standard bearer, but as two fierce competitors who had stood on top of the world. Though Michaels was still an active performer, the fire of his younger days had gone out and his hunger for the main event spotlight had dulled. However, the interest created by their meeting was as hot as ever. Millions of fans tuned in to see these two great performers, partners in the most influential feud in wrestling history. They came together once again. Perhaps that will be how their story truly ends. And it seems so, with a handshake. But often... In the unpredictable world of Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, that they helped create, nothing's for certain. Shawn Michaels said in his retirement speech that he would like to thank Bret Hart for putting up with him during all those years, as he wasn't easy to deal with. I got 12 years of things that I've wanted to get off my chest. And the very first thing I want to do is I want to call back there and ask Shawn Michaels to come out here and see me face to face. Whoa. And there's Shawn Michaels, who's always been in the eye of the storm, and of course he was 12 years ago at Survivor Series. And I can tell you, King, this is the first time, the first time since November of 1997 that Shawn Michaels will have had any contact at all with Bret Hart. I think 
I'd like to take this opportunity right now to bury the hatchet with you and call for a truce. You deserved what happened 12 years ago in Montreal. You disrespected me, and you disrespected this business. And yes, I did have a hand in what Vince McMahon did that night. I rest my case. And there's a part of me, there's a big part of me, that doesn't regret a bit of it. There's another part of me that knows that in the last 12 years, a lot of things have changed. A lot of things in my life have changed. When I think of Bret Hart, I think of the excellence of execution. You're not the only one that wants to bury the hatchet. I guess all I have to say is, are you sure? And are you ready? My career and your career shouldn't always be tagged by what happened at Survivor Series. I had a great career. You've had a great career. We both accomplished so many things. I think it's a good, as good a time as any right here and now. For you and me to take this opportunity in front of all these fans right here in Dayton and all around the world. To look each other in the eye and take this moment and say that we could be friends. So I offer my hand to you in friendship. Right here in front of everybody. Right from the heart. Right from the bottom of my heart. I call for a truce and I call for you to shake my hand and if you want to bury the hatchet, Let's bury it right now. goes on to finally bury the hatchet and wants to move forward with his life and his career. And I'm looking forward to the DVD released by the World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE, that features WWE's greatest rivalries, their own version of the Epic Encounter series, (laughs) one that has actual all the footage 
for you guys to watch and all the, the clips and the additional matches and uh, the exclusive interviews with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, which we don't have here on Beyond the Bell. But I want to give an outside fan's perspective of this spectacular feud between the two. These two made history in professional wrestling, perhaps the greatest rivalry in sports entertainment. Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels will forever be remembered as truly two of the all-time greats in professional wrestling. And their rivalry will go down quite possibly as arguably the greatest of all time. It could be the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Welcome, fans, to the Beyond the Bell Control Center. Yes, the Control Center is back. And it is not TBS, and this is not Gordon Soley. Just your ring announcer, Sean Beckerman, bringing you the programming for the month of September on Beyond the Bell via the SNS Radio Network. September is Fall Brawl Month, featuring all things nostalgia in professional wrestling. This month's content features the oh-so-close edition, the greatest superstars that never won the big one in the world of sports entertainment. From Kurt Henning, Rick Root, and Jake Roberts to Rowdy Roddy Piper, BTB covers the all-time greats that are legends in this business but do not carry a world championship reign on their resume. This month features the highly anticipated Epic Encounters edition that covers just one feud, perhaps the rivalry that shaped professional wrestling forever. Heartbreaking Hatred, the Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels story. WWE will be releasing their version of this classic rivalry on DVD next month, but you can hear it first from a fan's perspective during that controversial era. We will follow the careers of Brett and Sean, featuring old-school audio from their tag team days to their championship victories. Hear the behind-the-scenes story of the Montreal Screwjob from both sides, the Hitman and the Heartbreak Kid. Volume 6 will truly be epic. Wrestling fans, get ready to look back at the most spectacular entrances in professional wrestling. From the arena lighting to entrance music, BTB breaks down what truly makes a memorable entrance. We also relive some of the greatest entrances in the history of sports entertainment, so get ready to strut down the aisle with the greatest entrances in professional wrestling. This month also features the debut of two new series for Beyond the Bell. The first will run wild on you as BTB debuts the Hulkamania Chronicles. We look back at the illustrious career of the pro wrestling icon and how he came to be the immortal one. This month features the early days of Terry Bollea and the beginning of Hulk Hogan. Listen to audio from the Hulk Still Rules DVD and the a biography of the Hulkster. So remember to say your prayers and eat your vitamins for the debut of the Hulkamania Chronicles. Also, pro wrestling students, class is in. It is time to enroll in WCW 101, the history of World Championship Wrestling. BTB will cover the illustrious history of WCW from the NWA to the dying days of the promotion. This month, we will open up our textbooks to Chapter 1, the beginning of the Alliance. So make sure you take good notes as we kick off the WCW 101 course on Beyond the Bell. So wrestling fans, buckle up for the full brawl month at Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network. Get ready to rewind and relive the greatest and worst in the world of professional wrestling. 
for the Beyond the Belt Control Center. This is ring announcer Sean Beckerman signing off, and we'll see you at the matches. It's go time. Wrestling fans, thank you so much for joining us for Heartbreak and Hatred, the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels story on Beyond the Bell via the SNS Radio Network. Our Epic Encounter series is growing large and is in charge. Sorry for being corny, fans. Thank you so much all for your great and positive feedback. I look forward to hearing from many of you. I've heard some positive feedback from multiple fans saying that they're enjoying these topics and subjects. We're now going to be posting our themed shows two or three months ahead of time on uh, beyondthebell.podbean.com. Also, we'll try to have it uploaded via the forum section on SNS Radio Network as well as our Facebook accounts so we can hopefully give you guys some notice of the future shows coming up as well as we initiated the Beyond the Bell Control Center. We brought back the Control Center, ladies and gentlemen. No Gordon Soley. I'm so sorry you could have ring announcer Sean Beckerman. But we look we look ahead to the future shows in the coming months for Beyond the Bell. So we look forward through Fall Brawl Month, the month of September, where, where we have excellent action for you guys and excellent topics looking back at pro wrestling nostalgia, all things that is great and terrible in the world of professional wrestling and sports entertainment. The home for all things wrestling nostalgia, Beyond the Bell. Thank you so much, fans. We'll see you next week as we'll get ready to rewind and relive on Beyond the Bell. Good night, everybody.
Me, I'm Brett the Hitman Hart. Now your kids are pretty safe if they're watching me on Saturday mornings. I send out a pretty wholesome message. The Hitman stands for sticking up for yourself and to never quit. The one thing I won't do is lie to my fans. 